In episode four of In Brief with Law in Order, Avram Lam, our head of consulting in New South Wales, interviews Robin Kidd, head of managed document review, on her journey from being a practicing solicitor in construction litigation to being a managed document review specialist and how managed document review could save lawyers from burnout. We're Law in Order, the leader in end-to-end document and digital solutions to the legal profession, providing expert litigation support. How would you deal with a million documents in a discovery? How do law firms that run lean really operate? What challenges should you expect during an e-discovery interstate or internationally? We're here to help you find out. We'll speak to experts, both in the legal profession and within law in order, looking at case studies, real life examples, and trends. We're Law In Order, and this is In Brief. Hey everyone, welcome to the Law & Order podcast. My name is Avram Lum. I'm joined today by Robin Kidd, who is the head of Managed Document Review, or MDR, here at Law & Order. Robin, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Robin Kidd. I am the head of the Managed Document Review service line here at Law & Order. Um, I've been with the company for a year now, and prior to that, I was a solicitor in construction litigation in Australia for the last 10 years and in Scotland for three years prior to that. The Managed Document Review service line is all about assisting our clients in being able to um, achieve goals with their review. Um, We have a team based uh, offshore in India. There are currently over 50 staff working in the team there um, with guidance from our clients. And I work alongside our clients, helping them prepare workflows, review briefing documents and help them run their projects smoothly so they can achieve a successful outcome. Thanks, Robin. So, so I know we are currently hiring in our India office, and we should have around 150 people real soon. What is your experience in managing such a large team? My experience previously as a lawyer in private practice was managing teams, carrying out document review from the private practice standpoint. Um, admittedly, I never had a team of 50 plus or as 100 plus as we're going to be soon. Um, but it's very much you know, an economy of scale. Um, there's still the same complexities involved, ensuring that everyone has a set task to do, ensuring that you have resources adequately balanced between different areas that you need, whether it's be a first level review, quality assurance, checking privilege, and making sure that the client gets a thoroughly consistent product at the end of the day. Um, that hasn't really changed from private practice. Um, now the client is rather than being the end client as it was in private practice, it is now the law firm client or in some cases the corporate client. Perfect. So from, from your legal background, I understand where you are coming from. As a lawyer, can you tell us more about how you got into working with the legal technology side? Well, as uh, as those listening might be aware, I'm obviously not from here. Um, so I came across from Scotland 10 years ago and my first job as a on my working holiday visa was as a paralegal at a um, leading top tier firm here. I worked as a review paralegal, um, so I very much understand what our review paralegals do, having been there myself. But that experience led me to continue in that work even as I was working as a construction litigator through various firms, I ended up running or assisting and then running the e-discovery process, managing teams, managing the review, managing productions. 
And so I always kept coming back around to that legal tech aspect throughout the various jobs that I've had since I've been in Australia. And I just reached the stage where I wondered why I kept coming back to it in my career where I didn't necessarily have to and decided that I wanted to have a bit of a change in my life and not just do straight law and uh, made the move um, to law and order and now describe myself as being legal tech or law adjacent. But it's definitely been helpful to have had that time in private practice. So I understand what our clients are going through. I understand some of the concerns they have about releasing control of their material and having a review team that's not their team uh, look at those documents. That's great experience. So why don't you tell me, how do you ensure a successful document review? Uh, Going into this, what would we need from your clients, yourself and teams? Really what is important is a thorough knowledge transfer between the client and the review team. The client may have handled this matter for many years before it has reached, for example, if it's a litigation before it's reached court, they will know the matter inside out. They'll know the client's needs inside out. They'll know who's who in the client. If you see an email just with John on it and no sign off, then it's important to know that John is in fact the CFO and any emails he's sending might be highly sensitive to the client. All that knowledge needs to be passed on to the review team. We have our clients prepare and we can assist them with this, prepare a review briefing note. And that is all about that knowledge handover, um, which is so integral to a successful review. Going into the full background of the matter, uh, experience with the particular dispute that is at hand, you know, whether it's a construction litigation, whether it's a share value transaction dispute, any of those kind of things. There's so much background that's really important to the review team and it's important that's all handed over by the client. Obviously, during the review process, there's uh, to and fro with queries, etc., which I usually manage so the client isn't bombarded with emails. But it really is important that there is that solid knowledge transfer at the outset for the reviewers to understand what they're reviewing for and to get a really solid product to the client. So in summary, the more detailed briefing you receive at the beginning, the better the review and the outcome. Therefore, the more the project will be successful. Yeah, it's one of those things that it can also be that there's changes Once the client starts looking at the material themselves, they realize that perhaps the guidance that they've provided on the interpretation of a discovery category, for example, might have been too wide and really that should be considered more narrowly. Whether the time frame was appropriate, we definitely have that with our clients where they come back and say, look, we want you to scale us back. What you've done was according to our instructions, but we're changing our instructions now. That's why it's so important as well to have that dialogue with the client ongoing throughout the project and not just to have this one and done review briefing note at the beginning, spit out all the documents at the end and for the client to realize that's not actually what they were after. All right, so regular discussions with clients I see is very important. How do you think companies should actually evaluate whether managed document reviews should be done in-house or outsource? Essentially, what is your recommendation and why should they come to law and order? I mean, without obviously being slightly biased and saying you should just come to us for all your jobs, It really depends on the matter. There are various reasons clients come to us. Sometimes it's that they don't have enough bodies to review the material and have a very tight deadline. Sometimes they do have staff on site, you know, paralegals, junior or senior lawyers that might be able to review the materials, but there's just too many documents to review. Other times it might be if they've got a complex matter and they actually want guidance, not just with the number of documents they've got to review, but with the workflows. We had a matter recently where... 
there were a significant number of categories, um, one having over 38 subcategories. The plan the client had had been to review each one in turn, um, despite the fact that there would be overlap between those. This obviously meant that, for example, the, some one document could be end up being reviewed nine times. This meant that the client wasn't able to estimate how long it would take, how much it would cost to carry out the review. We were able to provide a grouped solution for the categories so that we could give them a grouped pricing solution as well for documents that had to be reviewed multiple times. This meant that they were able to go to their end client with a predicted timeline and also predicted costs for the project. And that was really helpful as well. So as I say, there are a number of reasons, but sometimes it's not just the straightforward we've got documents we need you to review. There's a few more intricacies involved in that. Okay. Robin, coming back to your legal background, how are you using technology and how has technology helped you? There's definitely been, since I first came to Australia, there's definitely been advances in the legal technology um, in the workflow and the review platforms that we use. There's some tools and tricks within the material. Um, For example, Relativity has the analytics suite, which allows for culling of documents in a much more sophisticated way. It involves grouping documents in a way that enables reviewers to be able to review them in a more efficient manner, to become more familiar with the material as they review it. And then there's also quite substantial tools that have come out in the last, I think, the last two, three years, such as Technology Assisted Review, or TAR, that came out in 2016, was first recognised by the courts, um, coming first from the States and then to the UK. And then shortly after, within the space of 12 months, it was active in Australia. Now, all of the states have practice notes which recommend or strongly suggest using technology-assisted review. It's all about the veracity with which you can verify your review and your culling. So it's less about the exact means by which you apply the technology and more the way that you can verify the soundness of your reasons for excluding or continuing with a review, excluding materials. There are a multitude of ways you can do this TAR 1.0, which is um, usually used with document sets of about 10,000, where there are multiple training sets. Thanks, Robin. That sounds pretty awesome. So being a lawyer with over 14 years of experience, how have you leveraged your experience with technology and your legal experience with your clients? I think having been a lawyer and actually having been a former client of Law & Order, I've definitely asked a lot of the questions the client asks. Sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect between the ways that lawyers speak and the way that the consultants speak in that technological way. There's difference in the language that they can use. Sometimes there's difference in the questions that will be asked by the lawyers. And there's, as I say, sometimes a bit of a disconnect. Having asked most of those questions at one point or another during my private practice career, I find that it helps to sort of sit between the two and be able to interpret what the lawyer wants and what the technology can do. So I found that really helpful. So uh, there's all this buzz about technology and the fear of technology taking over lawyers' jobs. What do you think about Robotech? I definitely think there's always going to be a place for lawyers. I don't think the robot lawyer is here quite yet. There's definitely aspects of legal work being carried out that can be attributed and used with AI, um, with the artificial intelligence. I think everyone's scared that bots will do everything, but... What I really see the focus of the technology that we use is enabling lawyers to get back to high-risk, high-value work. 
enabling them to step away from high volume repetitive work, you know, using keyword searching and things like that, using tar to try and get lawyers, you know, using their brains for the, you know, they've spent years training and they've spent years in their particular field using that so that they can use that human element to really assess what is best for their client. And you can use the technology to just strip away quite a lot of the, as I say, that low value, high repetition work. And there's a real issue with burnout in the legal industry. It's got a high incidence of depression, etc. And being able to put them in position where they can focus on high value work and work that really helps them fulfill their purpose in their career, for me, is a really important part of the technology as well. Robin, coming back to managed document review, how do you source and qualify your document review staff? And in what, while you're doing that, what's your, what's your QA process? Um, in terms of how we get our staff, um, a lot of our staff are qualified lawyers in India. So when you are getting a review team, you're actually getting probably higher qualified staff than you would be getting here. Often the review staff you'd have based in Australia or when you're nearshore instead of offshoring would be paralegals. You know, they'd still be in the middle of their law degrees and some might be graduated. But we have qualified lawyers. We have some grads as well that are overseen by the qualified lawyers who have years of experience, both as independent lawyers, but also as working in a document review facility as well. They are ridiculously experienced in the means of using the platforms. You know, they can click through far faster than our reviewers could. And certainly when I was a paralegal, far faster than I could click through the review. We, um, you know, background check all our staff as well. We have, you know, police checks, court checks, all those kind of things. We obviously, you know, interview them and they go through a four stage interview process. So we make sure that we're getting the highest quality candidate that we can. In terms of our QA practices, there's a lot that's done on an eyeball level. It's not all done by the technology. However, you can use the technology to verify the QA processes, for example, making sure that the documents, which are, for example, in the same email thread, are where necessary being attributed to the same discovery categories um, and making sure that's consistent across the review, even with a very high quality review briefing note. People are people, it is subjective review. So there might be some differences, but what the QA process does is ensure that there is consistency across the product that's being provided to the client. So Robin, while you're doing document review, what kind of options do you provide for your clients? Managed document review is, while it's appropriate in a lot of circumstances, it's not appropriate every time. For example, for a very small number of documents, it might be better if they actually just make sure, have the material uploaded to a review platform, like the one we can host for them, and they can review the documents themselves. When it's a larger scale document review, that is when you'd probably want to um, engage the managed document review team. You could have 10 reviewers, you could have 20 reviewers, really depends on your size of your review and your timelines involved. And it doesn't necessarily need to be an entire project either. We've got clients who currently host materials with us already, who are already running their own reviews with their own teams. Now, you can have the managed document review team verify certain ones of your searches, for example, when you use have an email and put it onto a work review platform, you'll usually get the embedded images, the tiny little Facebook, LinkedIn, yep. Twitter logos at the bottom, and they'll spit out as separate documents. Now, those embedded images won't have any relevance value, which is not attributable to that email itself. 
So it's relatively safe to just say anything that's an embedded image, you can code with its family, its host document. But it's a pretty big call to just mass edit them. You know, sometimes you just want to, you know, to double check things. So that's something as a task you could offload to the MDR team, even if you've got your own review team working on the matter. They can verify that result for you quickly, speedily, make sure that your review team that's working on it already are not having to be distracted by that. And then they can put the review set back into the um, back into the platform again when it's complete. Robin, as a lawyer, you would have used managed document review before, and I'm sure with timing, thoroughness, and deadlines are all very important. So now being in legal technology, how do you make sure you meet the same criteria for your clients? Deadlines and timelines are critical in the document review process. No one wants to be in default of court orders. It's a bad look. It can really affect whether the judge has got time to really listen to the arguments you put forward or whether they're just thinking you're in dispute and you're just dragging your heels. So we make sure that we plan um, in advance whether we can meet timelines that have been requested, whether there's a bit of fudge in the timelines. We also make sure that we keep our clients up to date as the review is ongoing to make sure we can still hit those targets. We can add on more reviewers. You know, if we've started with, say, 20, then, you know, there seems to be an issue. Documents are more complex than we thought. Therefore, review per document is a bit slower than anticipated. Then we can add more reviewers on to make sure that we're still hitting your deadlines. It's one of those great things that that we can have that flexibility with the team that we have so that we can make sure that we can always hit clients' deadlines. As I say, it certainly was vital when I was a practicing lawyer um, and it's the same now. Robin, how do you make managed document review outsourcing cost effective? I think what makes it so cost effective is the reduced overheads. There's definitely a trend in the market to either offshore or nearshore. There are other bureaus who are having off-site service offices in uh, Belfast. They're having them in Ireland. They've got them in the UK. These are international firms who have their service centres there. We've got top-tier firms here who are nearshoring to Brisbane rather than having their base in Sydney where they obviously the property costs are lower, etc. They can reduce their overheads. Our team is based in India, which means that the property costs are lower, the staffing costs are lower. And therefore, our clients can take advantage of that reduced overhead completely. I think we're at least to one third of the price of paralegal reviewers here for our qualified lawyers in India. Now, for me, that makes it makes it a no brainer as to why you would not at least put your materials through first fast review and then have your on site team review the relevant documents that we come out with. So I know from experience, finding qualified reviewers is extremely difficult. How fast can you scale up a team for a large project? In terms of having a big team for a big project, we have a big team. We can take on big projects. Over here, I've definitely had issues trying to resource staff quickly. You you still have to go through the, the vetting process. You have to go through the interviews. You have to go through the hiring. You have to onboard them. You have to train them in the software if they're new reviewers. That's all done. You don't have to have any of that. So basically, you have a review team. They're sitting there, ready to go, know the platform, And you just need to have the review briefing note. You can have a couple of days training on it and make sure they know all the ins and outs of the matter, who's who in the zoo, and then they can get reviewing. So for me, it just just seems, you know, sensible and illogical not to use um, an offshoring and an outsourcing process. 
So with all the new technology nowadays in document review, how are you leveraging artificial intelligence and active learning? And how have those helped out your clients? I think it's useful to integrate it with the solutions that we provide. You don't necessarily have to go the whole hog and having everything technology assisted. For example, we have a review running just now where we're using the active learning just to prioritize the review. We're not using it to try and cull documents. The full intention is to review all the documents in the data set, but it's prioritizing those relevant documents first. It's allowing the client to get hold of those documents um, that are more relevant faster. Again, this means that they can start preparing their cases. They gain that relevant information straight up front rather than having to wait till the end of the set. Now, that's a very low risk way of doing it. There's also a higher risk, but it depends. Some clients are not as willing to lean on the active learning technology, but you can use it so that you can, for example, have a cost benefit analysis of your review. Now, if you're going to have to spend another 10 weeks trying to find another 100 relevant documents in the next 50,000 documents, well, you know, the cost of that really is not proportionate to the benefit that you're going to receive. So you can use the AI to the level that you're comfortable with. As I've said before, it's really about how you can verify the process, but there are very low risk ways to use the technology and still have benefit to your review. Robin, how do you feel about moving from being a lawyer for 14 years to the legal technology space? Much as I enjoyed my time in private practice, I do really enjoy legal tech. Um, I really enjoy assisting clients with their project management, um, helping provide solutions for them. I don't necessarily miss having to deal with the uh, the wrangles in the court and the tribunal, etc. You know, fights over categories, fights over deadlines and things like that. But I think my previous experience actually helps anticipate some of that and you know allow the clients to have their best foot forward in those processes and to be able to say well if you require us to hold off on review of xyz categories then this is going to impact the review in this way it's going to result in an extension of you know this many weeks and those are the kind of answers you want to go to the court prepared if you've got those issues so i think while I really love being in legal tech i think that my past experience in private practice has really helped and is made my experience in legal tech all the better. Great. So that's it from us. Robin, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, I think that probably has, is enough for everyone for today. But um, thanks. It's been great to chat about it. Great. Thanks, Robin. Again, everyone, this is Robin Kidd, who heads up our Managed Document Review or MDR team. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Law in Order's podcast in brief. Law in Order is the leading supplier of end-to-end document and digital solutions to the legal profession. We provide expert litigation support through cost-effective document production, expert managed document review and discovery management, and e-trial and e-arbitration solutions. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please let us know at sales at lawinorder.com. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues and leave a review on iTunes. We hope you can join us again for the next episode of In Brief. Until then, thank you for listening.